Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Today, uh, we're going to finish our uh, Divided United Sermon Series. We have been in this for four weeks. We, we have heard so far is that uh, week one was all about our identity. Week two was all about who we follow. And last week, we decided to embrace the foolishness of the gospel. And what we've been doing is kind of figuring out what are these things doing to divide us as a, as a people, as God's people, or what are they doing to unite us? And so today we're going to finish with a few things. We're going to talk about a couple basketball coaches, John the Baptist, and then we're going to learn what it means to boast in the lowly. Um, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, read with me. Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let, no one, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This reminds me, I said we're going to talk about a couple of basketball coaches. This reminds me of a guy named Pat Riley. Pat Riley has nine championships. He was a player, and then he was a coach, and now he's an executive, and he's kind of one of the most successful basketball people ever. And as a, as a coach, he introduced the concept of the disease of me. So I'll put that on the screen for you. This is not what the sermon's about, but this is helpful. Um, the disease of me is what he coined as a term as he was coaching through teams that couldn't quite get over the hump. They couldn't win the big game. He identified the reasons for it is because people were too interested in their own production, in their own rewards, in their own glory. A couple of these that I really like, number two, three, and four, chronic feelings of underappreciation is an indication that we're suffering from the disease of me. Paranoia over being cheated out of one's rightful share or resentment against the competence of partners. And these are kind of shameful for us to kind of dig into because we've all been there when someone else a little too close to us is doing a little too well, we kind of, with that, that's that jealousy. We're like, I kind of resent that they're good at that because in comparison, it makes me feel less good at it. And he identified this, and then later, after they started winning championships, he identified what was called the disease of more, which is once you get there, then everybody wants more. It's not good enough to just be the best. Now you need more of the best. We're not going to get into that today. But he, he solved these when they finally started winning, and then every team from then on out, he would preach to them about the disease of me, that we can't be a unified team. We're going to be divided and each seeking our own agendas unless we unify around the whole and around the larger goal. I think this is helpful for us because as a church, and when we talk about the church, I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about God's people on God's mission. If we're not careful, we get caught up in the disease of me. We've been talking about the kingdom of self, same idea. When we are worshiping the kingdom of self, we don't necessarily have the kingdom of God first and foremost. And so we're chasing sub-agendas and sub-priorities, and the result is we splinter and we go our own separate ways. It's not enough for us to be part of success. We have to be the main reason for success. I need credit for the success. And this crushes 
unity. Sports are an easy place to see it, but it's common in every workplace. I used to work for a publicly traded Fortune 500 oil company. And being publicly traded and being big and rich, you knew when your bosses got a raise because they were disclosed. It was part of being a publicly traded company. I knew when the CEO's salary went from $5 million to $8 million, plus a bonus for like sneezing once or twice, and then he got $10 million. No, so it was like, and then all of the people that made the company go, and you're like, disease of me. All the people at my level in the cubicle farm went, well, geez, that's great. Maybe he could have given us a couple dollars because we're underpaid. We're the ones doing the work. And you hear this chirping going throughout the company of how dare he make that much money. And so instead of celebrating that the company was doing well and that we were actually really well paid, we just resented the fact that he was doing well and was even better paid. I've seen it and heard it on church staffs. Where's my raise? Where's my credit? Doesn't anyone appreciate all I do for us? Doesn't matter the organization. Division occurs when we seek the spotlight. Division occurs when we individually begin to desire the spotlight more than the success of the whole. And sometimes the success of the whole, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we desire the success of the whole so that we might get a brighter spotlight, which is a really kind of sneaky way the enemy can use missional success for personal gain. If we're not careful, that's what we're after. If we're not careful, we start wanting to fill the seats of the church, not so that God can be glorified and the message can go out and the gospel can be heard by those who are lost. We want to fill the seats for those reasons so that people might think I'm doing a good job. So we got to be careful. Can it be more about me? It's the question we're asking. The kingdom of me always works to tear down the kingdom of God. The kingdom of me always works to tear down the kingdom of God because the house divided cannot stand. Scripture's clear about this. So you have to pick your king. Every day you have to wake up and pick your king for the day. Is it going to be God or money? Is it going to be God or self? Is it going to be God's glory or my glory? God works through the weak to shame the strong. God chose the foolish to shame the wise. Verse 28, we'll read it again. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Why did God choose the weak? Why did God choose the lowly? Why did God choose the despised? So that no one may boast. The disease of me, the kingdom of self, the needing more credit, the needing more shine, God says, I'm not about that. So no one may boast. I'm going to choose from the lowly and the despised. I'm going to choose those who have no rightful claim to say they did it for themselves because I don't want boasting. What is boasting? We don't use that word very often anymore. Bragging, we say. Humble bragging is a new kind of way. Boasting. I would say boasting, if we want to look at it, boasting is just amplified credit seeking. If you're looking for credit, boasting is just you trying to amplify that credit coming at you. I did a good job, though, didn't I? But I mean, I picked it, didn't I? It makes me think of a North Korean military parade. This is when I think of boasting, this is what I think of. I think of the picture like that. Where it's like there's a million people goose-stepping down a street in a military parade. They're taking, you know, missiles and they've got a parade going. And then those two guys, they got to put big pictures of them because we, we need to make sure they get the credit for all the things happening on the ground. Yeah, I know the guys on the front line are doing it. I know the military and I know, but these guys need the credit. 
And these guys aren't even alive anymore, but we have to keep up these heroes and keep up this facade because this is the grandfather and the father of the current leader of North Korea who wants people to think it's his generosity and his incredible leadership that keeps them as the poorest, most repressed country in the world. And yet you go to a military parade in North Korea and what you will see is the deification of the leader. The, the kingdom of self is at hand there. He's boasting. We have these missiles because of me. When we're boasting, we tend to be the hero of our story. This is the key. When we're boasting, we tend to become the hero of our story. And then we become the hero of every story. We want credit from every aspect of every story. This happens in everyday life. This isn't just if you're a ruthless dictator. You can just be me and do this. Here, let me tell you how I've done this recently. We were, uh, we were in Flint, Michigan. We've been in Flint a couple times in the last six months, just to tell you how our life's going. Um, it's a Flint joke right there. So we're in Flint for, for some business, and we had finished with what we're doing. We're driving home for the day, and uh, we needed a place to eat. And so I looked up. I wanted soul food, and I was like, we're going to find this. So we find this place. We go, and we're having soul food in Flint, Michigan. And, I mean, I'm ashamed to tell you this. We're finishing this meal delicious, the fried fish and the rib tips, and we were just like, this was good. We needed this. We needed this soul food. And I'm at the table trying to take credit for the meal. Because after all, I found it on Yelp. And I'm like, isn't this great though? Right? Isn't it good, guys? And, you know, my poor daughter is like, it was delicious. I don't know what you had to do with it. Like, you didn't cook it. You didn't find it. You didn't, you have no risk involved here. You literally drove us here and hoped. And now you want, and I was like, I kind of wanted credit for finding this good restaurant. That's a little embarrassing. I didn't make the food, but I'd like the credit. And that's boasting driven by the, the, disease of me. It's boasting driven by the kingdom of self. I, I, I would really like to be puffed up by something someone else did. Or worse, and I've done this before too, so while I'm confessing, if a meal isn't great, I will try to find, if I'm not thinking, if, you know, if I'm not on my Jesus train, if I'm like kind of on the self train, I will try to find a way when the meal isn't very good, to steer the conversation to maybe I could have done better. But I don't want to say it. I want someone else to say it. So I'll be like, you know what? This isn't very good. But we've had this. Didn't we have this recently, guys? And then someone will be like, yeah, yours was better. And I'll be like, what? Just get out of here with that. Tell me more about that. If I take my wife out for dinner in a movie, I have to be careful. I cannot claim, cannot claim credit for the restaurant food I didn't make or for the movie I didn't produce and direct. I, we have to be real careful because we are credit-seeking people. We want to be puffed up over things we have nothing to do with. And it's silly in the little things. And those are instructive examples, and it's my personal confession. I'm, I lead the sin train some days around here. But we're not talking about these simple things. It's a bigger concept at play. When we do it in small and insignificant things, it points to the fact that somewhere in our soul, we're still doing it in the big and important things. Like, who is the star of your faith story? If I asked you to tell me the story of your coming to faith, the story of your finding Jesus, the story of your redemption and your restoration and the reconciliation of your soul to the creator of the universe, I said, tell me that story. The funny thing is, that when the day we're saved, that story is about Jesus. And the further we get in, the more tempting it is to make that story about us. And yet the faith story is about a God who came to rescue. Paul says this, friends, we weren't saved because we were smart or influential or of some noble lineage. He's trying to, to kind of reinforce the fact that the whole thing isn't about us or our genius that got us here. 
We don't experience the joy of the Lord because we were smart enough or holy enough to choose him, to find him, to win him. We said before, Scripture, all, it says we were dragged into his presence. That we, the lost and the lowly, we, we were dragged into his presence. He saved a wretch like me. I think this is uh, another way to make Paul's point is we love celebrity, don't we? Like as a culture. We love celebrity. We're, we're obsessed about celebrity. There's something about it. We like to be close to celebrity. If, we see a, if you saw a celebrity walking through Kroger as you're in the bread aisle and they're next in, oh, look who's looking at the salsa. And it's, you know, who's the celebrity of choice? I don't know. You all have yours. I don't really know who mine would be. Let's see. But you would take a picture. You would at least tell somebody you saw this famous person. Somebody's like, I saw that famous person. They were in the aisle with me. Others of you, the, the younger among you, you're better at this. Old, we're not good at this. The older we get, we're bad. You would take your phone out. You do the little side shot. Or if you're really clever, you do the selfie. I'm here with them. That's a good one. I was in an airport once with uh, fellow old people. We were on a trip together. And um, there wasn't a celebrity, but there was a, a guy in front of us, like our flight got delayed, and we were in the line to get the flight fixed up. And the guy in front of us, well... This is, okay. And he bent down to, like, find something, and he was just like, why even wear pants at that point? Like, just, just a, lot of, a lot of stuff was showing. And this woman I was with, one of, my, one of our friends, she was like, my husband is going to think this is so funny. And I was like, what are you doing? And she pulled her phone out to, like, snap the picture, and the volume was on, and it made the really loud camera click snap. <laughs> and I was like, you know, old people aren't good at the surreptitious picture taking. Um. We love celebrity. Here's the point. We yearn for nearness to greatness. What we yearn for is nearness to greatness. We like to be near incredible people, talented people, great things. That's why we idolize athletes. That's why we follow celebrities. But we said in week two that that following something similar to the original is not the same as, as following the original. So proximity to greatness is not greatness. Say it again. Proximity to greatness is not greatness. So to illustrate this one, our second basketball coach of the day, Greg Popovich is a five-time champion, an all-time leader in wins. He, the guy on the right, has more wins than anyone else ever to coach basketball. Asked what the key to success was. He said that. What's the key to my success? Draft Tim Duncan, the guy sitting next to him, and after that, stay alive. That was his answer to how to stay successful. Get lucky enough to get paired with one of the greatest basketball players ever, and then just don't die. And turns out, you too can have a great record. What he's saying, I love, is the key isn't me. You're looking at the wrong person. My proximity to this greatness does not equate to my greatness. He's got the greatness. I'm just along for the ride. How does that sound in our faith story? The key to your success If you were asked, what is the key to your success in faith? What's the key to your success in your walk with Christ? I would love for the answer to be, I got rescued by Jesus, and I hung on for the ride. I got rescued by Jesus, and I'm just trying to stay as close to him as I can. I got rescued by Jesus, and I'm just trying to stay alive, because that's enough. Because the key to my faith story is not me. The key to my faith story is I, I got blessed to be brought in the proximity of the creator of the universe. So go back to the point here. We're divided and united. Paul has said that our misplaced identities divide us. 
that following lesser leaders divides us, that, that chasing the approval of people will divide us, that selfish ambition and pride and boasting will divide us. And if these are true, if selfish ambition and pride, if they create division, then we have to talk about what creates unity. We have to fight that pride with honest assessment. In church, in corporate offices, in our homes, we have to recognize, as Paul would say, that we are the lowly. Honest assessment. We are the foolish and the weak. We have been brought to a place of grace by sheer proximity to the glory and the power of Jesus. That we don't boast in our ability to get to some place of great success, that we, in our humility, realize that it is by the glory and power of Christ alone that has brought us into this place that we now stand with great confidence and joy. And so we don't walk around as the lowly. We don't snivel around and go, oh, just, it's not me, it's not me. No, it's not that. We have confidence, but it isn't a misplaced confidence. Misplaced confidence says it's about me that I'm here. Confidence in the right source. I have confidence in my faith because my faith is in the immovable rock. And we get confused on what confidence should look like. I need to be better. I need to be stronger. I need to be more faithful. No, I need to be more poured out into the one that is more faithful and stronger and better. And the more I find myself in him, the more I find myself where I need to be. We draft on the greatness of Jesus. And the greatest thing about us is Jesus in us. And that changes us personally. That's the, the reformation that's happening within our souls. That's the sanctification of us as we are becoming more and more like him. He is living more and more through us. When we drop our pride and Jesus becomes central, then that profoundly unifies the body. The body of Christ is profoundly unified when each and every one of us have Christ as central and first. All of a sudden, things start to look clearer for us because it isn't about who gets credit. It isn't about what your skills and talents are. It's about him and how do I contribute in some way to make him known. Our mission statement is super simple. To know Jesus and make him known. I mean, that's about Jesus both times. There's two kind of little phrases, right? To know Jesus, get closer to him so I can do what? Help other people get closer to him. That's it. John the Baptist was kind of the man John the Baptist, if there was ever, like, early Christian celebrity in the time of Jesus, John the Baptist had, I mean, the people were murmuring about him. He had something going on that people were just into. People had asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? As people were watching John the Baptist's life, they were asking these questions, are you the Messiah? This is legit. He's this wild-eyed holy man. And we skip past this because, you know, we're reading and then Jesus shows up and it's kind of this fun part of the story. We, we skip past the part where people are asking John the Baptist if he's Elijah. Elijah who calls down fire from heaven. Elijah who didn't die but was taken to heaven on a chariot of fire. And people are looking at John's life and ministry and going, are you Elijah? How, what must he have been doing? If anybody had the right to say, I'm doing all right, it's somebody who's getting compared to Elijah. So here we have John, and they say, maybe you're the Messiah. Are you the promised Savior? Are you the rescuer? Are you the one? You're like, I've never preached and, and walked off the stage and have somebody come over and go, listen, I, are you Billy Graham? I just can't tell. Never happened. It won't happen today because I told the picture about the airport story. The story about the airport picture. Anyway, that's why it won't happen. No one's ever accused me of being Billy Graham. No one's ever asked me if I'm the Savior. 
are you Jesus, come back to us? Oh, I thought so. So this is amazing. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe people come up to you all the time and they're like, maybe are you the Messiah? But I don't think so. Someone is asking John, are you the Messiah? How does he respond? John chapter 3, verse 27. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John says he must become greater. I must become less. I'm just a forerunner. I'm just a voice in the wilderness calling you out. I'm only got what heaven has given me. Nothing in me is from me. It's all from God. There's nothing in me. This is about God and for God. John says, I'm the appetizer. I'm the movie trailer. I'm the engagement party. And the real meal, the real show, the real wedding, it's coming. John says, don't misjudge my proximity to greatness or my greatness. They're not the same thing. This is the opposite of boasting. This is the template for who we are to be as the unified body of Christ. We, if we could look like John the Baptist just a little bit, as wild humility, he is mistaken for a prophet who calls fire from heaven and takes an elevator back to God's presence and skips death entirely. This is who he is. And he says, I'm a pawn in this game. Just wait until you see the king. I don't think I could respond like that. I don't think that's how I would handle that. I'd like to get better. I'd like to get closer. I'd like to move that direction. But I don't think that if somebody confused me for one of the chief heroes of the Old Testament, that my first response would be like, no, that's not me. I'd say, tell me more. What makes you say that? Let's go talk. And John says, he needs to be greater. I need to be less. Jesus needs to be greater. I need to be less. It's almost like he's uncomfortable with the attention, right? He needs to be greater. I need to be less. If I'm getting this kind of attention, I'm not doing something. He needs to be greater. I need to be less. More Jesus, less John. More Jesus, less John. More Jesus, less Todd. More Jesus, less Kathy. More Jesus, less Macy. More Jesus, less Adam. More Jesus, less Belle. More Jesus, less Kyle. That should be the mantra. More Jesus, less me. That's what we talked about last week when I said the answer is always just more Jesus. How do I wake up every day and exhibit more Jesus and less flesh? Less credit seeking, more God glorifying. How do I do that every day? How does the prayer of my day become, Lord, may it be more about you and less about me today and more about you today than yesterday? And tomorrow, Grow me again, stretch me again by making me less that you might become more. What does Jesus do when he shows up? Finally, someone to take the spotlight, right? Someone to finally glory in the fullness of his messiahship. Sneaking away from crowds, getting onto the boat to avoid the cheering and the applause after a miracle always giving glory to the Father in heaven, always avoiding praise, giving up his agenda. Father, let it be your will and not mine. 
Jesus, much the same way, was not there for his glory over and over again. He rejects the idea that he's there for his glory. The only time he accepts glory is that it might be transferred to the Father. But he says, I'm not here for my glory, but for the Father's. So John says, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Jesus says, it's not about me, it's about the kingdom of heaven. This is not about making me great. This is about the kingdom of heaven being brought into its fulfillment. So even the one who deserves the praise and the glory is rejecting it, going, no, no, it's about something bigger. John doesn't want glory, doesn't need credit, and he recognizes a greater one. Jesus doesn't want glory only to glorify the Father. He points to the kingdom, and he has sacrificial love over selfish ambition at every turn. And that's what he's called us to. In a society inflicted with the disease of me and the chasing of the kingdom of self, the prescription is still more Jesus. More of him, less of me. He must become greater. He must be what we hold in common above all things. He must be what we hold supreme. His ways must become our ways. His life then overflows in our life. We become divided when we pursue self. We become united when we pursue Jesus. And we have a life to live that is lost in his life. And so we're found in him. We have a purpose in his mission. I said our mission is to know Jesus and make him known. It's pretty simple. To know Jesus and make him known. Jesus said, as he was leaving his followers, he says, you have a mission. Go and make disciples. He says, I've taught you everything I can teach you. You've gotten as close as you can get. Now go and make disciples. Our life on this earth is a continuation of the mission that God, through Jesus, gave the very first followers. I've brought you in as close as I can get you. Stay close to me in spirit, but go and make disciples of everyone you meet. Find people of peace. Knock on the door. If they let you in, have a meal with them. Tell them about me. If they slam the door in your face, shake the dust and keep walking. But go and make disciples. When you find a home of peace, stay a while. Tell them about me. That's the mission. You're invited to know Jesus, to dive into more of him and less of me. And then to make Jesus known, which is to take it from a building, take it from the safety of our kind of little bubble, and to walk out into a world that isn't always friendly to Jesus, that isn't always sure they want anything to do with Jesus, and to walk out into the world and go, I bet if they saw Jesus for who he really was, I bet they'd have a way different attitude. The problem that the world has with Christianity is not Jesus, it's Christians. When we make it about ourselves, we put ourselves in the spotlight. We say, judge me. The world says, I did. You're a hypocrite. I think they're right. When we walk out into the world and we say, judge Christ, they go, wow. Over and over and over again, I'm running into people who are walking away from faith, not because of Jesus, but because of his followers. Because we would make ourselves the central spotlight and they can reject that. And so as we go to make him known, it's about making him known, not making us known about him. Don't do as I do. Do as Christ does. I'm going to fail you, but he won't. So we're just saying, I'm going to let you down at some point. He won't. The foundation of Kyle will crumble from time to time. His won't. I'm going to seek credit and boast where I don't need it. He won't. And we need to be a people so bold and so confident in Christ that as we head out to tell the world about him, as we go to share his love and his grace and his mercy with those around us, that it is based on him and him alone. And that's, that's the key to that success. 
That's the key to finding new folks who want to know him. When we baptize somebody, how did that person get in the water? How did that person get baptized? Who gets credit for that one? Every time. Jesus is reeling people in left and right. If we're just smart enough to stay out of the way, he wants, to partic- he wants us to participate in his redemptive work of the world. He's invited you to participate in changing someone's eternity if you just keep it about him and don't make it about you. He's thrilled. Do you want to see how I save this one? Come here, I'll show you. You want to be the one that invites him into it? I'll show you. We don't boast in our skills or our smarts. We don't boast in our strategy or our vision. Let's just read what Paul said again. Root back in the text. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Think of where you were when he called you home. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus is our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption. Therefore, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Friends, the beautiful message of the day is that we were the weak and the lowly and that in him and him alone we can become the strong and the redeemed through his strength and his redemption. And we praise him then for calling us and using us and living through us, and we will not boast in ourselves. Let us instead be the type of people who, when we boast, boast in him and nothing less. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and good to us. Your generosity in bringing uh, Jesus into our lives, your generosity in saving us from ourselves is not lost on us. Father, I pray today that you would uh, convict our hearts of the reality that it is in you alone. God, show us the places where we're trying to claim credit. Show us the places where we are aiming for our own glory. Show us where we are inhabiting a kingdom of self. And then, Father, invade again. Invade us again. Change over the kingdom. Change over the authority structure in our lives, that you would be primary, that you would be the only. Lord, as we live as people on mission for you, as we live as people trying to make disciples of other people, God, remind us that the, the star, the story, the, the winner and all of this is you. So Father, become central in our lives. May we be your people focused on you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.